Well, good morning. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Uh, we did do kind of a fun exercise today with your uh, greeting time on your name tags. You said, what is your favorite dad quote or what's some of the favorite things that your dad has to say? I'll tell you mine. My bad handwriting was hard to see and I know that. So my dad has always said, it is guaranteed to hold till it breaks or guaranteed and to last until it doesn't last. Something along those lines. And I think it's very fitting because that's my dad's personality. Ultimately, if my dad builds something, you can expect that in time it will break. Uh, if if uh, he fixes the roof, you can expect it's going to leak. And if it's, you know, if he fixes the bathtub, there's, there's no question it's going again. And so uh, that's kind of my dad's thing, though. That's kind of the way he lives his life. I was talking with one of you, uh, and, and the quote that you gave me uh, was, Dad said, brush your teeth. And like that was just all he ever said, brush your teeth. And it's fitting uh, that Alicia married a dentist. At the end of the day, uh, something stuck there. There was something that lasted, something that just kind of, yep, that's what I need to remember. And so you should all brush your teeth. Those of you who are laughing, it's important. Brush your teeth. Life advice is something that is important. Uh, Dad gives us all kinds of advice in many different ways. Uh, One of the best advice you might get... uh, Well, you should get. Let me put it this way. How many of you remember the commencement speech for your graduation from college? One. All right, good. How many of you remember the commencement speech from your graduation from high school? All right, so this was a time where that person who was going to speak to all these kids or speak to all these college students, they're like, man, I need to give the very best advice that's going to change their lives. Honestly, I do the same thing most Sundays when I preach, but let's assume that you remember a few of those things along the way. So the people who organize a commencement, uh, maybe you've been involved in this process. You go through and you think through, who are are the different people that we could have come and they could give some life advice to our students and and really send them off in the right way? I mean, they agonize over that decision and and go through the process of who they could get. and, and, And there are times where there are universities typically they are fortunate enough, they can go after the big dogs. I mean, they can go after, like, the former president of the United States. Like, that's a big deal. If you can land that, you would hope that they would have some good advice to give to the student body uh, at your university. Or even better, maybe you could even line up the current standing president to be the guest speaker at your commencement address. That would be a pretty big deal. So imagine with me uh, if... King Solomon, because we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, if King Solomon, the king of Israel, is now going to speak at your commencement address, there'd be a few pieces of information that he would want to pass off, some life advice that he is going to share with you. If you know anything about Solomon, you know that he's devoted his life to answering one question, what is the meaning of life? This is a series that we are in as a church right now. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are working our way through. We're not going to get all the way through it right now. We'll take a break and come back to it. Uh, If you're using your pew Bibles, it's page number 697 is where it starts because I know it's a difficult book to find for some of you. Uh, If you've got your own Bibles, and I hope that you do, you'll be able to find it there. If you've got uh, UVersion or some other digital device as well, uh, we want you to be able to find it and track along with us this morning, uh, but you're not allowed to text each other as we go, okay? Because you will not find the meaning of life by texting back and forth during our worship gathering today. But there are three most important questions. Oh, the other thing I want to add, we have these little cards 
uh, it just says the meaning of life, Ecclesiastes. We have them back at the Information Center. It's an easy way for you to invite someone to what's going on here as a church. And so they're back there as an option for you as well. There's three questions uh, that he's working through. The big question, what is the meaning of life? But then there's some other layers here uh, that Solomon deals with because it really answers these three questions. First, the origin, origin question. Where do we come from? Second question, our meaning. What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of your life? And then the third question that really this overall question asks is destiny. What happens to me after I die? And so the context of Scripture you need to see in the Bible, uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, answers the first question, the origin question. It answers that question. It tells us we come from God. We are uniquely made in His own image with particular dignity, value, and worth. And then the other book end of the Bible is the book of Revelation. That deals with the other question, the third question. It tells us that we are going to return one day to, with Christ in glory for eternal sense, sentencing there to either heaven or hell. That is how things end. That's the end game. We have this book of Ecclesiastes that helps us live in between those two bookends. The book of Ecclesiastes deals with how do I live my life? What is the purpose of my life? Solomon limits his study to what is going on under the sun. And he uses specifically five senses that we know and understand. He actually doesn't use in this book of Ecclesiastes in any way anything that would be in the spirit realm. He deals with the things that are tangible that we can see, we can touch, we can taste, we can feel. He aids in our pursuit of wisdom by reflecting on the tension we talked about this last week. The tension of the chaos that is going on in our world and the goodness of God, our Creator. He deals with the tension between the two, the chaos of all that you see around you and the greatness of God, our Creator. It forbids, this book forbids a pursuit of secularism or of knowledge and wisdom, that pursuit as well as an unrealistic or naive optimism. Both ends of that extreme are also a bad place to be. If you assume that God is going to fix everything and it's going to be perfect and you will not have any troubles if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are sorely mistaken. Or if you come to the conclusion that this world is bad and it's getting worse and it's going to continue to get worse and there's no purpose, there's no reason to even try to fight against it, you have also drawn an incorrect conclusion. And Ecclesiastes forbids that and fights against that. So do you remember who gave that commencement speech? Uh, a few of you do. Uh, Neil Yerke, I saw you raised your hand for both. That's very good. Uh, he's got a sharp memory. Good for you. Uh, I have no idea. All I remember is the valedictorian in our school, he read uh, from the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You Will Go. And I thought to myself, this idiot didn't even come up with a, a commencement speech. You know, all he did is read this dumb book. How hard is that? But I remember it. I think I was just jealous that I was not nearly smart enough to even be in the top 35 or 45 or 105 to be considered for that. So those of you who spent time, or if you were spending time trying to figure out who that guest speaker would be for that commencement address, maybe there's a different angle that you could take. A few years ago, 1994 to be exact, about 22 years ago, there's a movie that came out that spanned 20 years of history here in the United States. It was a movie about someone you know and love named 
Forrest Gump. Someone said it. Forrest Gump. The movie did incredibly well. It received some awards, received a number of awards. And the reason why it was such a great story, it was compelling because you felt drawn to the main character. You felt like you knew him in some way. And Tom Hanks did a great job of portraying this character, but he also just pulled out, there was something about him. It wasn't that he was the most popular. He had these physical handicaps much of his life, the things that he dealt with. Uh, but you were drawn to him perhaps because it was his, his integrity. He was a promise keeper. He was someone that people could rely on. So what if Forrest Gump were to speak at your graduation? Would that be a memorable experience? Let's see, there would be a few words of wisdom that Forrest would have to share. Life is like a box of chocolates. Ah, there, see, it's stuck. You don't remember the person who spoke at your graduation who was going to change your life, but you remember the box of chocolates thing. That's just, that's where we are. Stupid is as stupid does, which doesn't have anything to do with your IQ, but it has everything to do with the decisions that you make in your life. And then the conclusion of his speech, you imagine when Forrest got to the climax, he gets to the end and he's ready to close the book up and then he would just walk off. He said, that's all I have to say about that and just walk off the stage. So the most memorable line from the movie for me is his friend Jenny just says, run Forrest, run. And he spends, uh, first he runs, he spends his life running away from bullies. And remember, if he, while he was running, he actually breaks out of that handicap that was on his legs and he just runs and runs and runs. And as he gets older, uh, he's not running from kids on a bicycle anymore. He's running from kids driving a vehicle and he's still running and running away. You get farther along in the movie, there's this big scene. And those of you who are, you know, weren't born at that time, I'm sorry, you're going to have to watch this on your own or your parents will have to tell you about it. But he gets to a point in the movie where he starts running across the United States. And in the movie, he actually runs back and forth across the United States four different times. And as he's doing it, there's this montage, all these different scenes of him running, all these beautiful picturesque, there's the word, picturesque points across the United States and he's running. Actually, in my study this week, I realized it was Tom Hanks' brother was his stunt double who did all of those while they're running across the states. Apparently, no other stunt doubles could figure out how to run as weird as the Hank brothers could do. So uh, he, he did a lot of those scenes for him. But as he's running across the country, this song is playing in the background by Jackson Brown, Running on Empty running on empty. And if you know any of the lyrics, this is one that caught my attention. I don't know where I'm running now. I'm just running on. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I'm going there. I'm just running. And for some of you, that defines exactly where you're at this morning. You don't know why you're running. You don't know how long you have to run, or you don't know what is in front of you, but you're just running. So this morning, I want to ask the question, how long can I keep running on empty? How long can I keep running on empty? We are in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, beginning in verse 12, and we'll answer it this way. Keep running down the path of learning. You want to know how long you can keep running on empty? Keep running the path of learning. We're beginning in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. 
I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. In my heart, I had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Where does the path of leading take us? Solomon says, he sums it up in one word, crooked. That's a good word. This is Solomon's way of explaining that we in our world are cursed. Something has gone terribly wrong, and no matter how many organizations we start, how many elections we hold, how many wars we fight, how many dollars we spend, how many attempts we make, how many protests we hold, how many medications we prescribe, how many bad guys we lock up, or tears we shed, the world is hopelessly crooked. This bothers us because we want to straighten it out. We want to fix it. We want to do all that we can to to fix this broken and crooked world. The only problem is that everyone on this planet is crooked. Every one of us is crooked, and there's no way that a crooked and perverse nation is going to be able to transform and fix what is broken, fix what is crooked, and make it straight. Crooked people cannot straighten out a crooked world. It's not possible. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we push against what we see in society and no matter how long we see injustices that go on on this planet and no matter how long we fight against it, we as crooked people cannot fix a crooked and broken world. And verse 18 describes it well. And he says, he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Do you remember the little blurbs NBC used to do, the more you know and there's this little star that would fly across? Really at the end of the day, the more you know the less you know or the more sad you become because you realize the, the less you can do or the less you can change or the less you have control over. And that is what we see here is this crooked world that we live in. As long as we are crooked, we cannot fix it. How long can I keep running on empty? Keep running the path of learning. Secondly, keep running the path of partying. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly that I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during a few days of their life. She says, I've only got so many days. My days are numbered. I'm going to live and live a pleasure, all the pleasures of this world. Solomon's words are as timely as ever. This is something that we should recognize in our own culture beyond what has ever been before. In fact, really, the nation we live with is in is this experiment, the experiment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's something you resonate with. I resonate with that. I said, yeah, I'm down with that. I like the pursuit of the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's something that I want. But what happens here is that basically we all want to be happy. We all pursue and live solely for the pursuit of pleasure. In fact, Burger King, I think, has really nailed it. They've driven our culture with this for a while. Have it your way. Right? You can do it however you want. You come in, the customer's always right. This is what we make, but you have it your way. And we say, yes, that's what I want. 
my way. And it can be specific for me. And Burger King is just one of a thousand organizations that say, yeah, however you want it, that's how we'll do it. Whatever you want at your fingertips in a moment, in a second, in a millisecond, because now a second isn't fast enough, right? In a millisecond, however you want it right now, have it your way. So the question is asked, basically, Solomon says, how much wine do you think it takes to satisfy the longings of an eternal soul? How much do you think I would have to drink? How much pleasure would I have? If you've known anyone or been anyone who is an alcoholic, that is the basis of why they need recovery is because they say, oh, just one more, just one more, and that will be enough to give me pleasure. And it's not just alcohol. It is every, that, that, that goes through our whole society. Just one more dollar. That's all I need. Just one more. Or just one more plant. We just need to start this business to start one more plant. Or even on the healthy side of things, we're going to get there in a few minutes. I just need to plant one more tree, and that'll change the neighborhood. That'll change culture. But here he gave his fraternity try, I'll say, okay? He went after it wholeheartedly. He goes on this binge of pleasure-seeking. He's like throwing the ultimate toga party. He does not shy away from the extravagant expressions or the pleasures of a fool. He says, no, I'm going I'm to go all in with this. He, he pursues the pleasures in food and wine and in women. It's an all-in commitment. If you look at 1 Kings 4, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Uh, you can read about this one party that Solomon threw. Scholars say it probably lasted a month or more. This is what chapter 4 verse 22 says there. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal. That's approximately 300 liters uh, for those of you in metric system people, uh, 23, it says 10 fat oxen, 20 uh, pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides the deer, the gazelles, the roebuck, the fattened fowl, or the chickens, uh, probably steroid chickens like we have today. I mean, they were big. Scholars say that this was enough to keep fifteen to 20,000 people fed for at least a month at a time. This daily food intake would keep fifteen to 20,000 people partying. So here in Buffalo, we like to throw a good party. We like to have a good time. We have people over for a barbecue in the backyard. Do not think. Like, you're like, okay, well, that was back then. Like, we know how to party today. Come on. 20,000 people? I don't care what Buffalo Bills player you are. I don't, you do not, he's taking it to the absolute extreme. He threw this epic series of parties night after night after night after night. And eventually, where does he get to? He gets to a point where he's kind of tired of waking up in a chariot with a tattoo on his shoulder headed to Mexico. And he says, you know what? Maybe there's more to life than this. I've got to make something out of my life. All I'm doing is partying. All I'm doing is eating great food and drinking wine. And I'm everybody's buddy because I'm here and I'm providing for them. But I still feel empty. How long can I keep running on empty? First, keep, the, keep running down that path of learning. Keep running down the path of partying. Thirdly, keep running down the path of building. Verse 4 of chapter 2. 
I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So Solomon is leaving this party scene. He's still partying some, but he's not doing it every weekend or every night of the week. He says, you know what, I've got to do something with my life. I've got to make something of myself. And so he begins to build his house. Now the temple, the temple took about seven years to build. Uh, If you remember, David could not finish the project. He hands it off to his son Solomon. He says, this is a place where God himself is going to dwell in the temple. And so Solomon takes seven years to build it. And so now he turns to his own house, and guess how long it takes him to do that? Fourteen years. He says, you know, I'm going to build myself a a pretty nice spot. So imagine, because it says that he also built houses for his wives as well, all of his wives. So imagine you go to Solomon, you're one of his many wives, you say, I'm I'm pregnant. He's like, oh, that's great. We're going to build you a house with a nursery in it. Not just like we're going to paint the walls. We'll build you a house with a nursery in it. But now, as time progresses, it's actually, you know, the kid's going into the eighth grade before you actually move into the house because it took him so long to get the thing done. Like, thanks, Solomon. Now, you and I probably know people have a main house, they have a beach house, maybe a mountain house or a lake house. But this is, again, the extreme. Solomon didn't just build houses, he built cities. Cities. Six of them, in fact. And basically, he would roll up in his chariot. He's the king, right? So he can do whatever he wants. He'd roll up. He would do the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and he'd jump back in, and he said, okay, let's go open the next mall, is basically kind of the approach that he had. And he would move on. He had six different cities that he had built for himself. And not to be outdone, (coughs) he didn't just build uh, buildings and stuff. He then went on and said, you know, we're going to do something lasting. And so he started planting forests. He, He basically planted a national park system, a national forest. In fact, if you go to southwest Jerusalem today, I've not been there myself, but I'm reading this. You come to a place where there's these huge craters in the earth, and they call it the Pools of Solomon. And he dug these huge cavernous holes in the earth, filled them with water to water all these gardens, these national parks. And the modern-day equivalent of his own private zoo was there as well. Uh, The modern-day equivalent being that uh, today you'd have all the exotic pets from around the world. What did he have? He had like this ranch with 12,000 horses and 14,000 chariots imported from Egypt and uh, Sicilia. He's doing it all. And these are good things. You, you want a national park system, I think. But he's doing it, he's building, he's amassing all of this, and he still is finding, just like those holes in the earth that are now dried up and empty, and you look at this cavernous hole in the ground, he finds himself empty. How long can I keep running on empty? Keep running after the path of learning. Keep running down the path of partying. Keep running down the path of building. Keep running down the path of acquiring. Of acquiring. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who have been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. (coughs) As you've heard, Solomon is most infamous for all the wives that he had, 700 wives. If you had brought up the idea of the Playboy Mansion to Solomon and say, you know, Hugh Hefner, he's got like six ladies running around, and he says, six? Like I had six wives 
in August. I mean, the, the idea to him of, of that, t- it, like that's absurd to him of how small potatoes that really is, of how crazy Solomon went with this. When he says, I bought male and female slaves and then uh, they had slaves that were born in my house, he's talking about this had a sustainability. This was for a long time. There was a second generation that was born in my home. And he just acquired all of these things. Verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. He had also said that in the verse excuse me, in the verses previous. He said, my wisdom remained with me. Solomon never forgot what he was doing. Remember, his goal from the beginning, he was going to use his five senses and he was going to do this as an experiment for the value. Is there really anything of a value out there? So he never forgot the experiment that he was in. He was wise enough. He never forgot the experiment that he was undertaking the entire time. Now, this book of Ecclesiastes, if you're starting to say, well, man, this is, this is kind of maybe secular in nature. Is that the right word to use? Or saying he seems to be pursuing after everything. I'll tell you, this is the very basis that you can make an argument that says, this is what happens if we continue down the road that we're going. You as a society, your friend, you, your neighbor, the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. This is what happens if you follow this path. Verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart, I kept from my heart no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward, reward for my toil. In 1 Kings chapter 10, it says that silver was so common, it became like rocks on the ground in the street in Jerusalem. That's the kind of wealth that he did. Silver had lost its value. It was so plentiful. They did not have enough vaults. They could not build enough vaults for all the gold that he had acquired. If you've got it on your iPhone, he had it in, your, in the garage. Like you have all the bands, your favorite bands, and they might be from the 70s, it might be the Eagles, it might be uh, someone else that you really love. Whatever it is, he had it in his garage, in his living room. He said, oh, you've got, oh, you can play this song. Oh, well, okay, come on out. And they would play music for him. They would perform for him. Are you entertained by your favorite sitcom? Are you one of the Netflix people who love to binge? Okay. He said, I've got the whole cast. Okay, and now you, you perform, you perform season three, episode four. Go. And go until I'm tired of it. Keep going. I'm still watching. Solomon tried to find meaning by enjoying anything and everything apart from God and found it to be meaningless waste of time. It left him feeling that same empty feeling again. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after a wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This just goes to prove that you can have a full fridge, a full house, a full closet, a full bank account, a full social calendar, a full social life, a full mind of intelligence, a full stomach, a full liquor cabinet, a full resume, a full bedroom, and yet an empty soul. He's demonstrated it for you here. And those of you in your mind are going, yeah, well, but Solomon didn't try this. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He's saying, I have tried 
everything. So how long can I keep running on empty? Keep running down the path of learning. Keep running down the path of partying. Keep running down the path of building. Keep running down the path of acquiring. And what will you find? You will find this. Keep running it into the ground. Keep running. You're going to run right into the ground. Verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Kevin Walker spoke last week. He's at Renewal Church giving the same sermon. And he, he said this. He didn't realize he said it. To me, it just made all the sense in the world. He says, the aroma of death pervades throughout this book. That aroma is just there. If you look over the book of Proverbs, this is the primary book. You don't have to turn there. But the primary book that we acknowledge is Solomon's. If you go through the first seven chapters of the book in Proverbs, every one of them is addressed the first verse of all seven chapters to my son or my sons. Today's Father's Day. And it's a way for all of them in those seven chapters to affect to say, pay attention to what I have to say to you. Learn from me. Gain wisdom. How many times does he need to say wisdom? Actually, 18 times in the first seven chapters he says, my son, my son, listen to me. Throughout, 25 times he addresses his sons or his daughters in particular. This is a father giving the most wonderful present he could possibly give. It's the benefit of wisdom. And those of you in the room who are wise, wisdom comes from experience. Some of you are wise in ways that have nothing to do with a degree on the wall. Solomon had both. Nobody is born wise. We have to learn wisdom. Solomon here in Ecclesiastes with tears streaming down his face. He is taking his child, grabbing him by the head, looking him in the eyes, says, listen to me. You need to know this. Verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise? I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. The wise dies just like the fool. All the wisdom that he had in the world. At the end of the day, you keep running, you're going to run right into the ground. Everything minus God is nothing. Everything minus God is nothing. For that matter, nothing minus God is nothing. I say that the issue is not having little or having a lot because some of you are going, well, good thing I'm not as wealthy as that guy is because this sermon would really be hitting him this morning. That's not the issue. You know, there is, there's a poverty theology that tells us that there's joy that comes in having less clutter, less restrictions, less stuff. If I get rid of everything and live a minimalist life, if I walk across the country with a backpack, then I'll be happy. That's just as messed up as the opposite extreme. A prosperity theology that tells the joy comes from having more. 
everything minus God is nothing. How long can I keep running on empty? Keep running down the path of learning. Keep running down the path of partying. Keep running down the path of building. Keep running down the path of acquiring. Keep running and running and running and run it right into the ground. If I can't keep running on empty, how could I run on full instead? If I can't keep running on empty, how can I keep running on full instead? See, Solomon has dealt with the five senses here. And those five senses are going to take us to the same ending no matter how you slice it. You need to understand holistically what the Bible is saying. Just generally speaking, what, what is being taught in the Bible scripturally throughout about some of the things we've talked about. The Bible, I want to make this clear, is not against wisdom. The Bible says it's, and some of the things that we've talked about, it says it's better to be smart than to be dumb. It's better to pursue wisdom. There's more there. As Solomon just said, pursue wisdom more than folly. It is better. Light is better than darkness. The Bible is not against enjoying yourself. The Bible will say, and others will also say, live your life, enjoy the beauties, the pleasures of life within the boundaries of God that keep your soul safe. The Bible says enjoy producing things, building stuff, having stuff. Make sure that that stuff does not have you. How do you know if the stuff has you? How generous are you? How willing are you to let go of it? Are you giving stuff away lavishly so you can prove that you are not connected to it, that it doesn't drive you, that you control it, that the stuff is under your power? The Bible loves you to work in the context of the way that God made you to enjoy it and do a great job. That's what the Bible teaches throughout. But your five senses aren't going to get you there. Your five senses aren't going to get you there. If I can't keep running on empty, how can I keep running on full instead? Turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Keep running towards the prize. Keep running towards the prize. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Look around, it says. Everybody's running. They're running hard, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. We're getting into a season right now. We're warming up into the Summer Olympic Games, and I'm going to be one of those that are up till 2 in the morning, wishing that I was as athletic as the people that I'm watching, and then getting up the next day saying, oh, I'm not very athletic, right? So we're getting to get drawn into that, but don't you know that they've spent the last four years training so that they can do what? So they can win the prize. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it all to do what? They perceive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paul's actually talking about the Olympics here, the early Olympics, the wreath that you've seen uh, that they'll put sometimes on, on the athletes. That was what he's talking about. But he's saying, hey, this is a lot bigger than that gold, silver, bronze medal. This is an imperishable prize. Forrest Gump is running across the country. He's gone back and forth four times. And the question that keeps asking him, are, are you running for world peace? Are you running for home? Why are you running? No particular reason. Just running. Some of you are there this morning. You're running. For no particular reason. 
Why are you running? I am running for an imperishable prize. I'm running for something that cannot be tainted, cannot be damaged, cannot be taken away from me, will not be gone after I pass away. My kids ruin the whole thing. It is going to be an imperishable prize that is between me and a holy God, and He is holding it in His hands, and it cannot be taken away. That is why I'm running. That is why I'm running, running towards the prize. That prize is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, for you and for me. He died so that you and I can live, so you and I can run with reason and with purpose. Without that, what is the point? And you'll never come to that conclusion in all the things that you try. You will never get there without the Holy Spirit moving and acting in, in, in you and drawing you to himself. You say, you know what? There's something more than this. I'm going to run towards the prize. Every great sermon has three points in a poem. It's not a poem this morning, but it is lyrics to a song. Andrew Peterson is the author. I just think that that the lyrics of this song sum up what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Won't you run towards the prize? Some of you are running on empty. Run towards the prize. What Jesus did was the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. He made all things new so that we can live this life with purpose. That's our reason for being here. That's what Ecclesiastes deals with. The tension of all that you see around you, the only way you can reconcile that if you are running towards the prize. It's called the chasing song. It says this, Well, I realize that falling down ain't graceful, but I thank the Lord that falling's full of grace. Sometimes I take my eyes off Jesus, and you know that's all it takes. Well, I wish that I could say at the close of every day, I was happy with the way that I'm behaving. Because Job, he chased an answer. The wise men chased the child. Jacob chased her 14 years, and he captured Rachel's smile. Moses chased the promised land, and Joseph chased a dream. David, he chased God's own heart. All I ever seem to chase is me. Well, they say a race can only have one winner, and you know you've got to pull out front to win. God knows the only time that I'm winning is when I'm chasing him. Well, I wish that I could say at the close of every day that I was happy with the way that I'm behaving. Because Samson chased a woman and he chased the Philistines. I'm not sure what Jonah chased, but I know that he caught the sea. Cain, he chased the harvest, while Abel chased the beasts. David, he chased God's own heart. All I ever seem to chase is me. But Jesus chased the money men, and he chased his father's will. He chased my sin to Calvary, and he caught it on the hill. Saul, he chased those Christians till blindness made him see. David, he chased God's own heart. All I ever seem to chase is me. Dear Lord, there's many here this morning that are running after a number of things. Lord, maybe not the entire list, Lord, but they are running after things that are a waste of time, that will always come up empty, or that will always leave them with this crater in their heart, chasing after learning, thinking that if I just am able to solve this problem, then all will be well, or chasing after pleasures of this world. And maybe it's not a toga party and a fraternity party, but Lord, they're chasing after the pleasures of this world. That will make me happy. 
or there are those who are chasing after building something, a business, an empire. Chasing after that will still leave an empty feeling in their soul. Chasing after acquiring. Lord, chasing after all these things and just being run into the ground, running after. Lord, let us chase after you. This morning, let your word speak to us in a way that says, I am tired of running after the things that are of no value. I'm tired of running after the things that please me. When I read about David, he chased after your heart, and Lord, as the lyrics say, all I chase is me. Let conviction strike people's hearts today, Lord, as you have struck mine in prepping this sermon. I want to run after you, Lord. I want to run after you and run to win, to win that prize, the imperishable prize of glory. And thank you so much for what you've done on our behalf because we cannot do this in our own strength. Lord, it is through the sacrifice that you gave, the ultimate sacrifice. If it is the ultimate prize, you have been the ultimate, perfect, holy sacrifice in our stead and in our place so that we can run with purpose. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. It speaks to each and every one of us. Now, Lord, give us the guts to respond to it because we can't do it on our own. Let us run. In Jesus' name, amen.
morning, church. We have a few announcements for you this morning. Uh, there are a number of things in the kiosks in the back. Uh, these are also uh, um, in the bulletin as well, but just to touch on a couple things. Vacation Bible School is just a few short weeks, well, actually just a couple weeks away. Not this week, but the week after. So next Sunday uh, is the day before VBS starts. And uh, besides volunteers and people that we need for the registration um, and pe- kids that we need to come, we also need prayer partners. And so if you at all would feel exercised to be a prayer partner for this week, if you maybe you uh, are not able to physically be here, but you would certainly like to Uh, be praying for the program, praying for those that are going to be working with the kids, praying for God's blessing and moving on the week. We would ask that you join us in that, and you can contact Bev Maurer, and she will be able to direct you in that way. Second, uh, the Route 55 kiosk is back there, and June 25th is the next next, uh, night that they'll be getting together. And so please sign up on there. I see there's quite a few people already signed up. And uh, this will be the last one before summer, so uh, avail yourselves of that. Lastly, uh, you can check the communication corner uh, for VBS updates. If you need more information about being a greeter in the church, just the general things that we have, areas that uh, you might be able to serve, those things can be found at the Welcome Center or Communication Corner uh, back uh, in the foyer. Lastly, uh, there is a need, and, and we would like to have... Um, knowledge of who might be interested and exercised to participate um, with the worship team. That could be in a number of different ways. It might be on the technical side of things. It might be that you have gifts and talents that the Lord has given you with uh, musically. And if you are at all interested in that, there is a sign-up sheet on the back uh, foyer for that as well. Um, just, I had to smile this morning when I looked at it because there's one person signed up on there right now. It's Jonathan Bednarczyk. How old is Jonathan? 11 years old. So we're starting them early. It's great. But again, if, there, if you have gifts and talents in that way and would like to participate in that, we would like to know uh, who you are so we can connect with you. Let's stand as we pray and have our final benediction. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. Father, may we be a people marked by not chasing those things that Solomon chased throughout his life, but rather be a people marked by the conclusion that Solomon came to, that the only way to find satisfaction, the only thing that's worthwhile chasing is God himself. And in our our lives, a relationship with Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit transforming us to make us more like you and more fit to serve you and to ultimately bring glory to your name. So we commit these things to you now. Second Corinthians 13, verse 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.